come before you to share the second installment of Follow Me as we go through this series on how it is that anyone can look at uh, the life of Jesus and then begin to trace his footsteps and what that means in a, in a very real sense and how you can hopefully walk out of here uh, with, um, w- with a means by which you can, you can just uh, follow him wherever it is that he takes you the rest of the week. And knowing pastorally so many of you, I know that um, many of us, myself included, kind of follow with a limp. There's a little bit of of brokenness that we have or pain or things that uh, maybe are deeply personal or perhaps we've shared that are part of our struggle. And one of the things that I know that is extremely helpful is that when we begin to take seriously how we can follow Jesus, things find a way of coming correct. If we are broken, he finds a way to help us be made whole. If we have a a health issue, he always has a way of of, of working through that and making it it better. If we are struggling with just the, the people around us and perhaps at work, he has a way of softening your heart and surrounding you with his presence so much and I, I'm, I'm hoping I can, I can bring that to bear on this, on, this, uh, on this series. So before I begin I just want to bow and ask God to join us. Father I thank you for giving us uh, a vision of your son walking through the landscape of uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee down into Jerusalem and along the way just encountering people like us who have all the whole range of experiences and struggles. And we know that in their testimony, there is that sense of knowing as they trusted you, that you showed them the way you provided, you healed, you made things right, you um, helped others to reconcile. You just began to work in a way that is strictly impossible from the standpoint of life without you. So, Lord Jesus, we want to invite you into this room in a spirit of surrender, trusting, Father, that we can hear the voice of your Son as he speaks to us through the Word. Help me, Father, to have the words that honor his life and, in an accurate sense, help those who are here to follow to follow um, in, in a meaningful and effective way. And trusting you, Father, with that, I, I offer this message to you in Jesus' name. We're on the um, on, on three days into Lent. Is anybody giving up anything for Lent? I'm just curious. Some of you guys are. Do, is anybody willing to just share, or you're like, no, it's personal. I, you don't you don't want to know, Pastor. No. Okay. Good. Desserts. Okay. What what else? Candy. Chocolate. Potatoes. Clickbaiting. Oh, it's all coming to the surface. That's awesome. You go, people. Well, I'm sure there's a, there's a, there's a lot more that we would 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 uh, would give up if we um, if we just think about all the stuff that you've mentioned and how there's a good side and how there's a downside. And as Jesus is looking at each of our lives and from time to time, kind of convicting us different ways. Um, maybe he's saying you need to give up this. So I can replace this with that. 
Because I honestly believe that nature abhors a vacuum. And whatever empty space you have, he'll find a way to fill that up with something good. Or you'll find a way to replace it with something that's not quite as good as him. Now, as, um, as I just kind of pondered that question, I, I went and looked on Twitter. And I wanted to know what humanity was saying about what they gave up for Lent. So just a couple of, 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 of indicators of what were some of the top, there were top 100, but I'm not going to show them all. So these are what people wrote down or tweeted when they responded. The first one is social networking, which I'm sure some people have said, yeah, it can be, has a toxic downside, I need to take a break. <laughs> the one I don't quite get is Twitter. How can you do a survey on Twitter when you've given up Twitter? But obviously, they're like, I hate this thing. I'm quitting for 40 days. Maybe they won't come back. I don't know. Well, there's the next one. Um, alcohol. Now, that's an interesting one because, you know, sometimes we drink it for pleasure or self-medicate. And they're like, it's a good time to just take a break. Number four, we heard today, chocolate. And then um, that was kind of seductive sounding, and I wasn't trying to be a tempter there for you, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. Um, <laughs> giving up Lent for Lent. Okay, now we're getting cheeky. Uh, meat. Swearing. That's a good one to give up. Number eight. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, that's too deep and too personal, isn't it? And can you honestly imagine? I, I can't. I've been caffeinated since college by necessity. I tried to quit a few times. No, I, I can't be that person. So we'll just strike that one from the record. Soda? Sure. Let's go to the next one. School. <laughs> Giving up school for Lent. Explain that one to your teacher. Uh, won't be here for the next 40 days, but it's for religious reasons, church and state, you know, so you got to give me an A, right? Okay? <laughs> I'm going to give up work for Lent. Yeah, also your car, your house, and everything in your refrigerator, gone. Uh, number 15, not sure why that's up there. Uh, number 16, going on to college, giving up college for Lent. That person needs to go to college. Not trying to be sarcastic, but I, that doesn't even make sense. Now, 17 also is a little different. I'm giving up religion for Lent. Now, do the math on that one. Honestly, is Lent, it must not be a religious-oriented exercise anymore. I'm giving up bread, and hopefully, except for communion, I'm giving up you. That's harsh. Plastic. And it'll be like, what would you prefer, sir? Paper or plastic? Well, it's Lent, so probably paper. Okay. And then somebody says, what are you giving up? You can just say, giving up things. Which is very, not even meaningful. Okay, which will probably reduce your Lent experience tremendously, won't it? Giving up some things for you, God. God's like, you got better dial it in a little better than that. Well, but here's the question. Why would you give up anything anyway? 
other than something has been telling you for a long time, that, that's not working for me anymore. And it could be a thing. It could be a, an, an attitude. It could be a craving. It could be an addiction. It could be anything that you're saying, this is not helping me move forward in my life. And this brings us full circle back to all of those statements that are just showing up, kind of peppered here and there in the Gospels, where if, you, if you're not paying attention, you won't even see it. But repeatedly, Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me. And when he's saying that, he's actually reminding them that this goes a lot deeper than you think. Now, if you look at the graphic, for example... Who's in the sharpest relief as far as the characters that you see? Meaning that who's, who's, the, who's the fullest person? Jesus. And then who's the next? The person following. And then you go back several steps. You can see how it diminishes significantly. And the graphic is actually intentional because I want you to just wrap your mind around that for a little bit. Because it says a lot about how much you're willing to let go of stuff to follow him. Because I honestly believe, not just for Lent, but any other time in your life, the stuff that you fill up with space in your life is actually a space that could potentially be filled up with him. Now, I could, as a new believer, say I'm coming to church and I've got Jesus and it's all good. As a person who's been following Jesus for a long time, I can tell you that the space of my day is filled up with about, on average, 50 prayers. Just all throughout the day. Whatever I'm doing, whoever I'm talking to, however I'm dealing with things, and whatever needs I have, and a day can go from very joyful to you feel like you're in the depths of despair. And in every circumstance, I'm asking Jesus to fill those spaces. And some of you I know do that and probably do it much better than I do. But I can tell you that as you fill up those spaces with him, the substance of who he is begins to fill you more and more. Let me just uh, jump into our story. Now, Jesus said this a number of times, and in John chapter 8, he does say it, but I'm going to focus more on the encounter that he has with some people that are supposed to represent the things of God and draw people close to God. Uh, but before I do, um, if you could just uh, show the slide from John 1-4. It, um, it is a statement that John comes right out of the gate saying that when Jesus showed up on the landscape, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's another way of saying that the life of Jesus is so robustly filled with all of the essence of life as you can imagine it, that everything in comparison seems dead. And as John says that, he also says that he is the light and it's also in that same sense that when you are trying to operate outside of a connection with him, not only does everything seem dead by comparison, and you may not even be aware of it, 
but also your ability to see what's going on around you is reduced significantly because the things that you need to see, he's the only one that can bring the light to bear on that set of circumstances that is your need or that is your struggle. And John out of the gate says these two things and he sort of repeats it over and over throughout the gospel to the point where it comes to the surface. And in John chapter 8, this is what happens beginning with verse 12. Jesus is talking to religious leaders who believe that they've got, they've got a pretty good bead on the things of God and are probably your best go-to source if you ever want to figure out what the God question is all about. So Jesus happens to run into them and he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Just like John mentioned. So the Pharisees said to him, that sounds good, Jesus, but there's a technical question we need, to, we need to have a discussion about. And that is, legally, how does that play out? You say that you're bearing witness for yourself about these things. Well, according to the laws of, of how the, the temple and the scribes dis- define how you come to God, that's out of order. That's wrong. Uh, you've crossed the line. And so Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony... It's true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from, or where I am going. I just want to back up for a second. Let's go ahead and show that slide if we can. Jesus told them, I know where I came from. And it's, it's, th- this is important to pay attention to. Because the Pharisees, it sort of kind of begs the question... Where are they coming from? Well, this is where they're coming from. Everything about their life was sourced in what they themselves created. And they had a lot of pride in the fact that their identity was, I'm a priest of the Most High God. I wear these robes. I'm a holy person. And I will walk around in public display projecting to anyone who would look at us that we are the true and right representatives of God. And chances are, if you were to weigh your life against ours, your life would come up lacking. Because our lives are in order, your lives are not. And they've got all of the religious equipment to prove it. They go to church... They read the Bible, they pray, they fast, they do sacrifices. I mean, what more do you need to do? And when Jesus is telling them, I'm the light, he's kind of contrasting it with them by saying, and you're kind of not. Matter of fact, you're carrying around a lot of darkness. And that dark is so heavy that By all rights, everything about you should just be a bright, bold sign in the darkness saying, God is right here. Let's bring him to bear on your lives as well. But when people look at you, they just feel oppressed. They feel heavy. They feel like if that's the kind of God that 
we're supposed to worship. I'm not sure I'm interested in that. Because their lives were sourced in everything that they had kind of invented. Even though they were doing their religious rituals, they were essentially telling everyone around them, you know we're better than you are. You know that we have it together better than you. You know that if we were to decide who is of more value, our life or yours, by comparison, our lives are better. But do you ever think in the 21st century, we ever look at other people's lives and we say, I'm better than they are, or they seem better than I am? And it's almost like we, we get this sense of our worth based on what people are signaling to us. Maybe, they're, maybe they, they, they've, they've got incredible abilities and they're making a lot of money and they dress awesomely. And you're looking at yourself and you're saying, not so much. But then you see somebody else who's not quite where you are and you're like, well, at least I feel good about myself because by comparison, and here's my question. Those are really big questions about our identity that change everything about how we go into life. And if I come into church and my whole basis for who I am is based on how I compare to each of you, I may want to find a church where at least I can say I'm better than everybody. That way at least I can feel good about myself. But do you see how dark that is? And how much our culture is constantly telling us that the measure of who you are and what you're about and what's important to you is only as as valuable as other people who have it together more than you do. The source of your identity is what people are telling you around you. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I hear all kinds of voices. Not, not what you think. I don't need counseling. But <laughs> I do hear a lot of voices. And some of them can be pretty positive and uplifting. And some of them, they can, they can cut to the heart. And if I just base my whole sense of worth on the voices of other people, I'd honestly be a wreck. And I kind of had to settle something in following Jesus. I sort of had to ask the question, Jesus, where did you come from? What was your life sourced in? What is it that makes you, you, against the good, the bad, and the ugly of people that you're rubbing shoulders with? How do you keep it together? And Jesus said, everything about who I am is sourced in the Father. Matter of fact, I can't even do anything without bringing the Father into the equation. It is so important that my life is grounded in Him and Him alone. Sure, the other voices around me are important. I need to hear them. I need to respond to them in the healthiest way possible. But they don't define me because I don't, live, I don't live that way. When the Father sent me into the world, He wanted to show the world that my life, unlike so many other people that you, you look up to and maybe feel inferior to, my life is, is sourced in the Father. I know where I come from. But you know what I love about Jesus? Is that 
for, for some who might get that sort of elitist sense that the Pharisees had, like we have it and you don't. And we're going to keep it because this keeps us up here and you down there. Jesus is like, I'm coming all the way down here and I want to show the person who feels the most inferior, the most disconnected, the most whatever it is that is just filling them with that sense of being alienated from everybody. I want that person to know that what I bring into this world, the life and light of the Father is especially for them. And I want them to be a part of this life in such a way that the, the substance that is so shaky and, 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 and transparent as far as just bouncing off the echoes of the world becomes solider and solider and solider as your life increasingly gets connected to Jesus in every way. It's source in Jesus in every way. Now when Jesus told these guys, I'm the light, he's essentially saying that if you start following me and you take anything that you are dealing with in your life right now and you say, Jesus, I've had my own ideas about how I should work this out and it's kind of been hit and miss. But I want to ask you, Jesus, an intimate question. Are you willing to shed light and life on this, whatever this is? And I, I dearly hope that if chocolate is a thing that needs to go away for Lent, that you fill that space with Jesus. I hope that whatever it is that you're saying, I want to take a break from that you start to take an opportunity to bring him close and allow every part of your life to be sourced in him whether it's your work whether it's your emotional pain whether it is your um, your, your, uh, your physical pain whether it's your relational pain you know, I was looking at the list and I, I thought about, about alcohol. And, you know, I used to drink, drink wine periodically and I don't condemn anybody for doing it. But I remember uh, last Lent, I just said, I'm not going to drink anymore. And I'd only drink like a, I'd only drink like a, a glass I wouldn't drink anymore. Um, and that's, that's the honest truth. Um, and I thought, I, I don't need it. I'm just not going to do it. I'll give that up. You know, I discovered about myself that I was using it a little bit to kind of self-medicate, just one, one glass. I thought, wait a minute. Jesus needs to be the one who helps me take that edge off. And it, it really, I mean, just kind of, I, I, I just saw it when I, I didn't see it before. And, you know, the problem with the Pharisees was they didn't even see it. Honestly, they didn't. They didn't realize that with all of this religious stuff they had going on, they thought they, were, they had game. And Jesus said, you got darkness. And we were, listening, we were watching the Francis Chan video yesterday with the elders. And he came on and he said, you know, one of the biggest deal breakers in coming close to Jesus is pride. Because when you say, I've got it together, then you're saying basically, in effect, 
I don't need you, Jesus. And when you're saying, I'm humble, I'm broken, I don't have answers, I need you, Jesus says, I'm right there for you. And he said, you know, the problem with pride is, I loved it, maybe you've heard it, it's like having bad breath. You're the only one that doesn't know it. That's so good. And my wife's like, here's some gum for you, honey. (laughs) Nothing like staying humble. Um, So the Pharisees, man, they stunk up the place. And they were just bringing death everywhere. And certainly no light. I mean, they had the word, but they weren't embodying what the word meant. And there's nothing worse than somebody like me trying to do this and then not being the person that says you guys need to do that. I mean, it's a challenge. But I've learned over the years, I've got to embody that more and more. But I've also been that guy who, if you looked, if you could just put the screen uh, graphic back up real quickly. I've been that guy at the back of the line. Like, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. But... There wasn't a whole lot there because I wasn't really trusting him. I was believing, but I wasn't following. And maybe that's just part of the process. And maybe you've gone to church for a long time and you've believed, but you haven't really earnestly said, I want to follow you here. I want to follow you with this. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to lead me through it. And I will follow you. I'm surrendering my heart to you. And if I'm like the Pharisees and I'm not seeing something that everybody else sees, help me, Lord, to see it. Because obviously, it's getting in the way. And I can tell you that there have been a number of times where I've had something in my life. And I didn't see it for a long time. And then, you know... Circumstances happened and I became profoundly aware. That is getting in the way. And so when we follow Jesus, it's not only just tracing his footsteps through any given day, but it's also looking at the landscape of your soul and asking the question, how much of your soul is characterized By the things of the Lord. That deep part of who you are. I mean, I I don't want to make fun of you guys for sharing. And you're like, man, I'll never share again in a sermon. But um, part of what you shared was just, it's deeper than just saying, I'm going to get rid of that. Because sometimes it's just your soul saying, I need something better. And I'm going to use this departure from that. To think about what it is that I do need. And I honestly believe all you have to do is ask the Lord to show you. And don't forget when you ask to remember that you ask the Lord to show you. And then watch. And he will. And it may be painful. But in the end, it will make you like him. And the toughest case that Jesus had was this group of people who were imposters. They had everything that said were the real deal. But they were so profoundly lost 
But Jesus even went so far as to say, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you're not going to make it. And a lot of us in the room are saying, my righteousness isn't that great, but that's not where I'm going with that. They should know better. And it's not that they passed the test, but they should know the type of God that in character hasn't changed a whole lot, but our approach to him has. And Jesus came to reset it. And maybe today, Jesus is taking all of your religious history and saying, I kind of want to refresh where you're at. And I just want to make it simple. By just in your own heart, surrendering to me, and just saying earnestly and in a sincere way, Jesus, just in the week ahead, help me each day to follow you. Help me to break down my defenses, and they're there, and help me to trust you. Let's just look at the last part of the verse, if we can, that I, I, I had you not show, if you can remember that. Jesus looked at those guys and he said, you judge according to the flesh. That's all right. It's my, my bad kind anyway. Um, I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And uh, let's just finish it out with the last part, or that end part. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus said, you know, man, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Let's just put the brakes on it right now because I'm just going to land the plane. We can leave that up there. Jesus didn't say, you got all of the religious answers correct. You filled in the blanks properly. You chose the right multiple guess answers. He took it to a deeper level. And he essentially said something deeply personal. You do not know me. You do not know my father. And when he said that, it was his way of saying that what I've come to represent and embody in the form of a man as the Son of God is a deep and personal and abiding connection with anybody that is willing to make it on a daily basis. Our faith is very personal. It's deeply personal. It is about learning to know and follow Jesus every day. And I wish I had you know, some testimonies and things like that. But I'll end it with this. You know, this morning I got a phone call and I thought it was my alarm going off because I went to bed in my confused state. I probably need a little light shed in my own life about time and things like that. I'm thinking, oh, time change. Get to sleep another hour. Went to bed with that assumption. And then I heard what I thought was my alarm go off. And it wasn't. It was my text at 4.30 in the morning saying that a lady who some of you know who attends this church half the year had passed away. She's gone to Florida to work in a church down there. Street people, her and her husband. 
Maybe you remember Larry and Betty Schaefer. And Betty's passed away. Tall gal, very, just beaming with the light of the Lord. And um, have attended here for probably a couple years. Wonderful people. And before they left, I met them at their house. And I said, what's she going to do whenever you go down there? Well, we're, we have a church we attend down there. And then they usually plug us in with uh, helping to minister to, to people along this one street where the church is at. And we just love doing that. We love talking to people, counseling with people, sharing the, the, the Lord with people, and then seeing those people end up in church and, and, and having their lives transformed. I kid you not. And I just think how beautiful that is, that that was just their heart's intent. And they would tell you that they weren't always there, like that wasn't their thinking all the, the whole time. But it was like the more they followed Jesus, the more it evolved, the less it was really, it was just natural. It was like, this is just what, what we do. And we were here, we followed him, and now we're here. And it's not because we said, okay, uh, this time next month we're going to be here, and then a year we're going to be there, and then five years we're going to be over there. No, we just started following him, and he showed up, and things started kind of emerging in opportunities, relationships, even our own issues with healing and things like that. Jesus was just plastered all over the whole thing and we just love the Lord and we love people and it was almost like every other priority had just been sort of purified out of them and they just had the sights of the Lord in their vision I'm not saying they're perfect people but I can tell you that they were sincere and genuine in that expression and I felt so bad for Larry I, I looked at my phone and I'm like oh that's so heartbreaking and and, 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 then, and then my next thought was, well, at least I got a few more hours to sleep. And I looked at my clock and it was 4.30. And then I thought, well, I'll get up in a couple of hours. And I realized something. When I got up, I felt like, oh, man, it's, it's, I don't feel like I got that extra hour of sleep. What happened? I just felt like unrested. And then I went and looked at the clock on the oven and it said five and my phone said six and I'm like, all right, I haven't any coffee yet. I'm doing the math here, Lord. Something isn't right. Did Mandy move the clock back? And now I'm like, spring forward, fall back. And just being out of sync, just... It, it, it doesn't, it's not a good start to the day if you've ever had that. But I honestly believe it by analogy is if we're following another path other than Jesus, you're out of sync. You're out of sync with the life and you're out of sync with the light. And don't expect those things to come into your world in any huge measure until you get in sync with him. Anybody go to the Toby Mac thing the other day? I'm just going to end it right. Okay. You did, you were rocking out at Toby Mac, weren't you? I saw you dancing and stuff. If you were there, the volume was, I think the volume knob must have broke on 20 on a 10 scale. Oh, man, it was too much. But one of the cool things about Toby Mac is all the orchestration that they do. It's like they painstakingly try to choreograph everything. And when they were marching down that, um, that, that gang, or whatever you want to call that platform, in sync and in step, 
And just the rhythm was all the same. I'm like, they're going to mess up, they're going to mess up. But it was just all the way down. And I thought, they practice that. They practice keeping in step with each other. And it's so beautiful. I mean, that's one thing I like about Toby Mac is he's so artistic and brings that whole layer to it. And I thought, how hard did they have to work to do that? I can only imagine hours and hours. And basically what Jesus is calling you and I to do is just to take the stuff that we're doing in any given day and just keep in pace with him. And learning how to keep pace with him. Voice over here says yay. Voice over here says nay. But you're just following him. And you're saying, Lord, help me with that voice. Help me with that voice. Because you're the one in control. And there's just nothing like being in sync, is there? Nothing like waking up on Monday tomorrow and saying, we got an extra hour of light. And it just gets better and better from the standpoint of your walk with him, the life and the light. And this world will have some trouble, but with him, there will always be life and there will always be light. And as strange as it sounds, you can tell when a person's life is sourced in the life and light of Jesus, and you can tell when it's not. And our goal here isn't to compare anybody to anybody, but just to say everybody can be in sync together. The other thing that's funny about the concert is they wanted everybody to do the, the, um, you know, the, 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 the rave dance up and down like that. I'm like, I'm too old for that. But wouldn't it be cool if everybody was doing that in sync the whole time? Wouldn't it be cool if we, the church, would be in sync the whole time? And just following him wherever he would lead as he goes. That, I can sincerely tell you, is why the church is here to be the church. No other reason. It is here to help whoever is not in sync with God to get their lives aligned with them in whatever area you need to work on. And so I'm going I'm to, we're going to move into communion here in just a second. Oh, no, you're going to, okay, afterwards. Uh, so what I'd like to do is I would like to end this with prayer as well and just put it within that, that those bookends. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that the words that I've said have been in alignment with what you've intended for 2,000 years. Lord, we just share a common humanity. And probably if we all told our stories here, it would be a mixture of brokenness, a mixture of things that we celebrate, and everything in between, so much so that we would realize that as divided and pitted against each other and comparison-oriented as our world is, we're all just kind of the same people. And yet you came and you rescued us so that we could come out of that deadness and into a light that is sourced in you, a life that is sourced in you. And you alone may our allegiance May you be sovereign over our lives. May you be our king. May we follow you, Lord. And where we don't have the heart or the desire, 
may we ask, Lord, help me to have the heart, the desire, the will, because the light and life that I have is not what it needs to be without you. And I thank you, Lord, that you honor that, that prayer. And I pray that for myself. And I pray that alongside anyone in this room that would also be praying it under their breath as well. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.